so there, there is a, um, a need to be resolute and, and realize, all right, th- this looks different than maybe it did 10, 20, 50 years ago where, um, bearing witness to Christ, there may be higher stakes yeah. for us today. And yet we should resolve to be faithful yeah. in that. Um, and, and continue to do that. Um, continuing to worship, continuing to gather together, continuing to build communities shaped by the gospel. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles. We scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome everybody to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon, pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church, joined with Ryan Chase, pastor and elder at Emmaus. Um, and the, today, the thing we're going to discuss is a book that has come out recently-ish um, called, it's by Carl Truman called Strange New World. Now, before we dive in, um, it's worth noting <laughs> when I was at the pastor's college last year, I think 70 to 80% of our teachers throughout the year mentioned a a book prior to this one by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And without fail, all of them made reference to that book and then made the point, someday when you can read by yourself again, which isn't during the past. You didn't have time for that? No. (laughs) Someday when you can read what you want, read, put this book at the top of your list. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did, but Strange New World. So that was, that book, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self came out in 2020 and it made immediate impact in well, all of culture in its diagnosis of the modern moment. Um, uh, I believe, uh, not Ryan T. Anderson, who, Rod Dreher, um, uh, an author, uh, similarly. No, it was Ryan T. Anderson, I yep. believe, who who made the appeal to Truman. Um, can you write a decaf version? <laughs> it's the, the rise and triumph of the modern self is like three, 400 pages long. Very, not very heady, but heady. Yeah. More academic, historical, right. very philosophical, philosophical mm-hmm. very, and very thorough. That's why it, yeah. it, it made the impact it did. But Truman um, acquiesced gratefully and wrote a, what we call a decaf version of it. Uh, it's not really abridged. It's a rewrite mm-hmm. in a simpler, more accessible way. Trying to make it more accessible. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, not easy to do. Uh, and he did it. And so recently... Um, pastors here at Emmaus Road Church, we read as, as a leadership staff uh, this book, Strange New World, how thinkers and activists redefined identity and sparked the sexual revolution mm-hmm. written by Carl Truman. Um, and, and we had yeah. all of our missional community leaders read it as well right. and got those guys together to discuss it, right. debrief, right. takeaways. So we at least feel that it's Important. It's an important book and, and worth taking some time here to kind of chop it up a little bit. Um, yeah. Because I think, and we'll get to this, but I think what's particular about this book and why people, when they read it, find themselves nodding a lot is because it gives a, a really thorough um, and kind of puts its finger on the wound of our current culture um, and why everything feels so crazy. 
Um, and just to give it, so a couple quotes, I'll start with one and then we'll, we'll kick this around. So at the, in his introduction of strange new world, Truman, uh, who remember the first book is called the rise and triumph of the modern self. What is it? The, which is a you know philosophical term, the identity of, of yeah. yourself. And so here he begins to define that. And he says this, the modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to the same. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. Such a self is defined by what is called expressive individualism. In short, the modern self is one who, where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. Yeah. Man, you read that and you're like, oh, that's it. That <laughs> seems yeah. like that is the thing that, you know, you, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you, you, you hear, you watch the news, you watch whatever source yeah. of information. You go to work, you, <laughs> you got sensitivity training that's or right. whatever. You get called into HR. Yeah. It seems like this is what's, what is going on. It, this is what, that's what's going on. The modern self and, you know, his first book, The Rise and Triumph of the yeah. Modern Self. The modern yeah. self. It's here is here and it what it's done is take the inner reality or the inner feeling that i have mm-hmm. and my external reality and instead of seeing myself as a body and spirit that are in cohesion mm-hmm. um, and working together uh, under the rule of god's word and natural and natural revelation and seeking to find the balance between my feelings and my external world yeah. no one of those two has taken hold the throne and the other one must bow to it. Namely my inner feelings must now warp my external reality. And what Truman does, especially at the beginning, he says, how can it that? So my grandfather who died, I think he said he died in the early nineties said my grandfather, if he would have heard the phrase, I am a man trapped in a woman's body would have just openly laughed at that. It would have made no sense. It would have made it incoherent. Yeah, what would, what in the world are you talking about? And how is it that today, in 2022, and for the past five, six, seven years, how is it that that statement can be treated as not only coherent, but authoritative, yeah. and, meaningful, significant? And we should take steps to order our society around such a thing. Yeah. So, Ryan, that, that, I'm just trying to tee it up. Yeah. You tell me, what were your... Yeah, what, what a tall order. Yeah, when I think about the project Truman mm. attempts to undertake here, he, he's trying to answer that question. How do we get to the point where we live in a society where people talk like that and everybody nods along mm. approvingly, that they understand what that person means, mm. uh, they validate that, encourage that. Um, so yeah, like you said, if you find yourself today, living in this culture, looking around with this sense of what is happening. Mm. Uh, this just seems crazy. Truman is trying to trace, and he goes way back in oh, yeah. history um, to philosophers like Rousseau, and he works through the romantic poets mm. and um, looks at the influence of Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche and um, Freud. And mm. so so he's, he's attempting to tackle that historically, where do these ideas come from? So yeah. I, I think an underlying assumption there is ideas have consequences. And and one of the things that stands out to me overall is ideas have far-reaching consequences. Mm. We're in this for the long haul. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a couple years ago, somebody came out with this idea right. and then here we are 
is because it's really recent when you right. think about how fast the speed at which some of this has been going on. How can it be that just a few weeks ago, a a man dressed as a woman sat down with the president of the United States and had a conversation about how are we going to become more inclusive? <laughs> yeah. And everybody took that seriously. And everybody just said, well, it's just, oh, look at that. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> how did, we, what is how did we get here? And I think Truman, like you said, it's a project that traces its roots way back into even the Enlightenment and before. Yeah. And yet, and this is why I think Truman is so particularly insightful, he says nobody knows who Rousseau is. Right. Like if you ask the average college kid who is the most articulate yeah. in this type of the world we're living in. Yeah. You know who Rousseau is? Have you ever heard of, you know, I know you've heard of Marx, but have you ever, can you tell us about Karl Marx or Freud or whoever, all these philosophers, maybe they've heard of them, who aren't able to articulate their belief system. And yet we are, they, they're part of what Truman calls the, um, imagine or the the social imaginary imaginary. somehow we're in this like fever dream that started back with those men and their ideas. Like you said, that have consequences and have brought us to a certain place where now we just swim in it. And Carl Truman is so helpful because he gives us a lot of those phrases that that really are helpful for mm-hmm. thinking about and talking about what's going on, like that phrase, mm-hmm. the social imaginary. Yeah. Um, he just says, you know, as a culture, what we even consider to be possible, mm-hmm. uh, what we consider to be normal, what makes sense to us, that that, that is the social imaginary. Yeah. And, and people can't necessarily pinpoint, oh yeah, I get these ideas from Rousseau or whoever. Um, and yet, people nod along, and it yeah. makes sense to them when you say, and "I'm a are, man trapped in a woman's body." Yes. And okay, so yep, we're we're good with that. Why are we okay with that? How, pe- how do we get to that point? And people are making so you you sit down with you know we just this is we're recording this the day after the election. Um, you know, you sit if you were to sit down with your average college kid who is has the ability to vote, the ability to give you know take action in this world that affects everybody else. If you were to ask them, like you just said, you know, give us your belief system. And they may be able to articulate their belief system. And then you ask, all right, give an account. Like, where did you get that stuff from? Nine times out of 10, they don't know (laughs) other than the social imaginary. But yet, why should, you know, funny, pat them on the head, keep moving. No, they're actually taking those ideas and living them out in our actual society. And that has just been taking place for the past couple of years. And that is kind of spun itself into a mess that we're currently in. Yeah. Another one of those terms that Truman uses that's so helpful is the psychologized self. Mm -hmm. So you kind of set this up in in the introduction. The, The idea that your inner feelings are the truest form of who you are. Mm what you feel, that is what has most authority. Um, and so your identity then is defined by what you feel on the inside. That's, that's fundamental. And and with that then is this related concept of what he calls expressive individualism. Yes. So if who I am most fundamentally is what I feel that has ultimate authority, then I have to be able to express that outwardly in order to be true to myself. Yeah. And, 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 this is where, you know, tying it all into the social imaginary, you realize this is not just like the idea of some people out there. We mm-hmm. all swim in this water yes. and like fish in water are not aware of the water that they swim in. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't tend to realize the air that we breathe. This is just the culture that we live in. And it comes out in seemingly innocuous, innocent ways like, um, 
you know, Disney. But if you pay attention to the plot line of every Disney movie made in the last couple decades, it, mm. it, it really is a, um, a story of expressive individualism. Yeah. You know, your parents, your authority figures, the culture, whatever, that is oppressing you and mm-hmm. limiting you and mm-hmm. you have a dream inside of you. There are things you feel and you got to be true to yourself and you have mm-hmm. to express that no matter what anybody else says. And that's where, you know, the authority is what you feel. So th- those ideas, the psychologized self, yeah. expressive individualism, that makes up this social imaginary yeah. and, and the culture in which we live. And, and then he calls it, you know, he refers to it, the culture of authenticity. Mm. The, the most important thing is be true to yourself, yeah. express yourself, and don't let anybody tell you you can't. So yeah, Truman spends the first couple chapters tracing various philosophical um, commitments from key people mm-hmm. that have contributed to where we at. For instance, um, the granddaddy of them all, Jean Rock, uh, Jean Jacques Rousseau from the Enlightenment, who really pushed the author, uh, pushed the nexus of authority not from outside, mm-hmm. but inside. Not not from outside of me in the external, mm-hmm. but into how I feel. He has the famous quote in the Social Contract: um, "The man is born free." meaning at his purest form, he's just him, you know, baby, just them and their emotions and everywhere else he's in chains. Mm -hmm. All of society, the external world is trying to bind you down. So the best thing you can do is break free of that. So that really got the ball rolling. You've got guys like Karl Marx who made everything economic, Mm -hmm. who pushed the, the realities of, um, or not the realities, but his, his perception of realities of oppressor and oppressed into the world of economics. But then that brought it all the way down to just general, interaction. And then you have Freud and who sexualized everything. And all of this is happening to bring us to now. And so he traces all those different philosophical strands, helpfully, Mm -hmm. thoroughly, um, and brings it to what I think is the most, I would argue the most important chapter. Uh, I think it's chapter six, plastic people, liquid world. Mm. That right there, I feel as though that gives it Okay, we've landed somewhere. Yeah. Um, this is what's happening right in front of our eyes. Exactly. And and here's my, along with Truman, here's my hypothesis. I, I believe the chief um, accelerant to what's been taking place for since the Enlightenment, for sure, as far as like philosophical thought, has been the advent of social media. Now, obviously, media is not a new thing. Um you know, people have been writing letters to one another. You know, there's, there's no, there's nothing yeah. new under the sun. What is unique though, is the ubiquity of social media and the effect of it. Uh, it's, I, I believe it separates, it exacerbates the, the separation between the body, our, our actual physical selves and our, what the Bible calls your spirit, your internal self, your mind, your, your heart, your emotions, and, and separates them to the point where you are able to, because of technology and even think of not just Twitter, but also like Instagram, um, video games, think Mm -hmm. of online Mm -hmm. gaming, the metaverse, exactly the ability to create an identity. And again, that word's important to Truman Mm -hmm. detached from our actual physical Mm -hmm. Space. Now, he, he makes a comment in one of those chapters, I think it's this chapter, about how this was impossible in the Middle Ages. <laughs> like, travel, you couldn't travel, you couldn't, you know, ring up your friends, you couldn't tweet out your thoughts, you couldn't take an Instagram of your food. This was just, you had your space. You had your your, yeah. your lived re, your lived sphere. And, and that reality that you lived in was uh, largely outside of your control, so you were constrained right. by various yes. forces of nature, like... Right. 
the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes the point. I don't know if he talks about here or in his longer version, Rise and Triumph, but um, you know, the, the food that you eat, you, you have to plant your crops by a certain time or they're not going to grow. You have to harvest them by a certain time. Then comes winter and the ground is frozen and, and you're forced by these things. And now we live in a world where uh, through technology, mm-hmm. well, you, you could grow crops indoors mm-hmm. through aquaponics and mm-hmm. whatever, and, and you could grow crops in the desert. And so it, it gives, it all fuels this sense that we rule over nature and we can bend it all to our will right. and do whatever we want with it. And We're not that, constrained by anything outside of ourselves. And while that is, you know, we want to affirm that is true. God has given us the command to be fruitful, multiply, have dominion and subdue the earth, right? That's, that's how, that we were. And this is why it's so devious because yes, we do, but it's a mouth, a malformation of the creation. Yeah. And, and what you see that most clearly is in our own bodies. So what the internet has allowed is we have not escaped the need of community, mm-hmm. right? So in the middle, like you were just describing, you were constrained not only in those areas, but also who your quote unquote tribe is, yeah. your, your community. Community your, you belong to and obligations you have within those relationships. Exactly. And, and what's now taken place because of the advent of Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you are able to find a community all across the world to whatever, you know, whatever inclination you have towards you're able to find. So there's no more taboo internal desires. That's right. Yeah. Because if, if the credit score or the, if, if the deposit, the thing that makes you good is recognition, Mm -hmm. as long as I'm recognized, well, I can be recognized for any sort of devious behavior because there's other people out there and I can find them. Um, and here's the, here's a really important quote that stuck out to me. He says this in Plastic People, Liquid World. When identity is grounded in psychology Mm -hmm. and the internet allows for the indulgence of any and all means of thinking about that identity, the concept of community lacks any real solidity. Like there's no physicalness to my community. It's all out there. It's all online. People can now pick and choose their communities, and that means that they can pick and choose their identities. If the Reformation made religion a choice and represented a key move in placing the individual at the center of things, the internet has extrapolated that to the vast swaths of life. We can now choose our narratives and our communities more easily than previous generations choose clothes and shoes. And so what he's getting at is because of that separation between the body, Mm. our actual physicalness and the spirit, and because one of those, and I think, you know, um, it reminds me of Abigail Schreier's book, um, uh, Irreversible Damage, the plague that's affecting uh, particularly adolescent, pre-adolescent, um, or prepubescent and girls in puberty who seem to be the number one new uh, demographic who are transition, who make, tra- or yeah, identify out of, as men. That's right. Practicing transgender. And her point is that, well, girls are, as they go through that, they feel uncomfortable in their bodies, mm-hmm. as, which is natural. But instead of going to their moms to help them lead them through that or to just um, walking through the reality of how God created them, they find expression and af- affirmation out there. And so yep. countless stories. Some other community. Broke my heart. Countless stories of these girls not going to their moms yep. to talk about what's happening, going to TikTok where people say, well, it's, you're uncomfortable because yeah, you're a boy. That's right. And that then – so my identity, I found a community out there. I find an identity yep. out there. You belong. And they na- affirm you. And now that inner reality, that inner identity mm-hmm. must bend the the external world right. to my will. 
And then that coupled with the reality of technology and medical technology that, oh, we can do that. Right. We can start lopping off things and replacing things. Plastic surgery. Now people are having voice surgeries because, you know, they look, a man looks like a woman when he walks in the room. But as soon as he opens his mouth and talks, everybody knows, oh, that's a man. It's a man's voice. So, yeah, bending the external to fit internal desires. That part of the quote about... um, you know, it's, it's easier to pick your identity than to go shopping for a new pair of clothes or, or mm. shoes. You know, that, that kind of consumeristic mm. uh, approach, it, it's telling because it, it, on the one hand, there's nothing new under the sun, yes. right? So human this, this sin is a nature. Modern, this is a modern Tower of Babel. Yeah. This, this is a modern, we will make our name great by building the tower into the heavens yeah. and showing God who's who. We can bend this creation to fit our yeah. internal desires. Yeah. So... Just human sin nature, mm. th- this is not new. Like human rebellion against God, um, humans seeking to define themselves on their own terms apart from God, that goes all the way back to the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, did God really say, right. do we really need, you know, if we eat from this, then then we will be like God and mm-hmm. we can determine for ourselves what's right and wrong. That That's not new at all. That's right. Um, and so just understanding human beings are always in search of this... Um, identity. And now it's like, you know, people can go shopping for, well, do I fit over here or over there? Which is telling because a lot of this, uh, we're already starting to see stories coming out of people Mm detransitioning, people who are told one thing, promised one thing, and then they're finding, okay, that's empty, but now I've already mutilated my physical body and that's irreversible. irreversible. I can't, I can't do anything about that. And, and, and so people are looking, where do I belong? Mm. Um, so, so there's, it's tragic, uh, yeah. what's, what's going on, but Truman is so helpful in, in understanding how some of these ideas have developed yeah. to the point where they're just mainstream. It's yeah. just the, the basic assumption right. people around us hold. Right. That idea at the beginning that, um, authent- inner, inner feelings and authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to them and be recognized and affirmed for that behavior. Yeah. Uh, last quote from this chapter, and then we're, we'll, we'll try and find some way forward here. But I think this is exactly right. He says, two things make our current moment sinister. The plastic conception of human identity by which expressive individualism tilts and the liquefaction of the world around us with regard to traditional frameworks, national, religious, uh, familial, geographical, even psychological by which human beings have previously defined themselves. Today, the self is entirely plastic, and the external world, right down to our bodies, is liquid, something that offers no firm ground upon which to build yeah. an identity. And man, you just hear that, and That's you it. go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by plastic and liquid, he means just malleable. Yes. You, you, can, you, can you can melt it down, shape, shape it into it whatever you want. you want, pour it into a mold, That's right. you, you pick. So you, there's no external yeah. authority. And, and that difference is uh, massive. If the inner feelings have authority versus external realities having authority. And he talks about historically those external realities that have ha- held the most authority in people's lives mm-hmm. are really the, the three spheres of government, yeah. um, family, yep. church, and state. Mm-hmm. Th- those represent externally um, structures that help ground us, mm-hmm. root us, give us some sense of who we are, what our responsibilities and duties are. Um, but through thinkers like Marx and Nietzsche and uh, Freud, th- th- there's it, it been popularized this idea that 
any external structure is oppressive. It's limiting. It, right. It's keeping you from being authentic and true to yourself. And so yeah. those things have to be toppled. I, I think that's an important uh, logical implication of a lot of these ideas. The, the nuclear family has to be toppled mm-hmm. because otherwise it represents this oppressive power structure that is right. preventing people from their being their truest self. And right. as you know, Freud introduces this idea, and the truest version of yourself is found in your sexual desires. That's right. At root, you're not just your inner feelings. You are your inner sexual desires. Mm-hmm. So you, the sexuality becomes central to your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, these ideas have implications. It, it makes sense then why organized religion, the church, becomes exactly one of right. the greatest enemies in culture. Right. It is one of the greatest evils in mm-hmm. culture because it is oppressing people right. and telling them that those feelings and desires are actually wrong, uh, sinful, makes people yeah. feel bad for that. All of a sudden, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, um, in, in talking about husbands and wives, which, first of all, he has an assumption of what a man and a woman is, which has already been jettisoned in our day. But he says, husbands, you are not, your body does not belong to you. Yeah. It belongs to your wife. And the same to, to the woman, you belong to your husband. Well, <laughs> yeah, That right there, huge red flag to our society, yep. just... You know, my body, my choice. Yeah. I should be able to do whatever I want with my body. I should be able to do whatever yeah. I want with however I form my body. Yeah. And it's not just, well, you know, we can say, okay, fine, go off and lop off your arm. But we're not lopping off arms. We're trying to shape and and mal- or yeah. form against the very nature of God. So we yeah. have lost what it means. Because we're plastic people in a, in a liquid world, we've lost what it means to be a man and a woman. Yeah. We've lost what it means actually down to your bones to be a man and a woman. Not just you're, you know, you, you kind of look like a guy. So go ahead and do your yeah. thing. No, it's I am a man always in relationship to other men and women and other women and so on. So we've just lost that identity. And that's why the gospel is so offensive. I mean, the gospel does not need any more reason to be offensive, right? <laughs> it says to you, die to, you need to, you need to put to death that which is earthly in you, mm-hmm. right? And to stop, to take off the old man and put on the new, that, that's yeah. what the, the, the effect of the gospel is. And so any attempt now in our society to say, no, we do live in God's world. This is the father's, you know, the this patriarchal world. world, and you must act a certain way mm-hmm. that yeah, God lays claims fly. on you. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is not from Truman, but related and kind of makes the same point. Um, I just read a thread the other day on Twitter. Somebody was ta- discussing Tolkien mm-hmm. and Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and Tolkien's view of magic, uh, which is really fascinating. And oh, yeah. this person was making the point in, in Tolkien, there are two different kinds of magic. Oh, I, I think I read this. There's, yeah. there's the kind of magic that the elves practice. And I believe it's in the fellowship of the rings when they're traveling through, passing through the uh, Lothlorien, yeah. the, the woods there. And they meet the lady Gladriel and somebody asks her about, you know, s- says something about the wanting to see magic from the elves. And, and she makes this comment about, you know, I, I think this is what you call magic, although I don't know what you mean by that. Mm. And um, the elves, what they practice as viewed by others as magic to the elves is just totally natural because they so understand nature, Mm -hmm. the way things are, and they're just working with nature and the way it is in line with that. They're able to do things with nature that looks magical to everybody else. That's right. But it's consistent with nature and its purposes, Mm -hmm. assuming that there's an external authority there versus kind of a dark magic or black magic that is an imposition of one person's will 
on nature, trying to bend nature to my desires and manipulate it to my purposes right. to oppress others. That contrast is so fascinating. Yeah. And and we see that. I mean, that's exactly what Truman's talking about here, liquid world, plastic people. Right. Um, when we take things, you know, we call it modern technology and mm. modern medicine, but we wield that to just impose, mm. this is what I think the world is and what I think it's for. And right. here's what I'm going to do to my body to bring it in line with my desires. Very different than starting with what did God make and what does God intend for mm. this and how can I live in line with that? So yeah. we're not against technology. That's right. We're not against, uh, you know, modern medicines. There are great goods that can come from that. Right. But when you start with the understanding, we are under God's authority mm. and in this world that God has made, we have to live within certain constraints that God has set. That's right. And those are natural, you know, things like gravity um, and the body and disease and, you know, there are things, the realities there and as well as relational, mm. th- there are family ties and commitments and obligations and, you know, responsibilities that I have to do unto others as I want them to do to me and, and those things. So I am constrained by these certain things and, right. and it's my job to understand what does God require and how, how can I live consistent yeah. with that rather than kind of asserting this inner divinity, I am God yeah. and I'm going to bend all of matter. Yeah. To, to suit me. It's interesting as you say that too of, I think I read that same thread and what's interesting is how Tolkien uh, portrays, and you even see this in the movies, the, the, the portrayal of the two. The elves feel a bit more uh, you know, they work with nature. There's a, there's, a, there's a natural organic nature to their homes and everything as opposed to the orcs and Sauron and and even Sauron of this machinery. Yeah, very this industrial. In, exactly. And to be clear, we're not saying <laughs> industrialization is a inherent evil that we just all need to be hippies that, you know, whatever. Yeah. No, but the aim of those two things is what is at, is at play here. Yeah. The elves are working with creation and, and with its created order. And yeah. the, um, the orcs and Sauron are working to impose and dominate yeah. creation. Uh, Truman makes a point. Um, you know, Truman has a lot in common with Tolkien, apparently, whether he knows it or not. <laughs> I'm sure um, he does. <laughs> but he makes the point that some of those modern, you know, examples of those modern call them technologies mm. um, that actually facilitate yeah. this sexual revolution are things like contraception, yeah, That's abortion. Right. That's right. Um, th- there are things where, you know, essentially what people are trying to do is impose, I, I want to pursue sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm satisfaction, fulfillment my way without any of the God-given natural consequences or uh, outcomes or results. So children then are a great burden and barrier. Um, You know, God-given fertility is a problem and something evil to be overcome through abortion and pills and and whatever. What were the stats immediately following the overturning of Roe v. Wade this summer? The amount of... uh, uh, what is it? Elective vasectomies among young men in their twenties yeah. skyrocketed. Right. That goes to show what we're, yeah. you know, what, what's happening in our society. Yep. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a rejection of how God has made us. That's right. So Ryan, give us in, <laughs> we, we probably, as, as, as we're talking, I'm having the thought, maybe we should just do a, we should do several parts, part two, but <laughs> maybe give us a little bit, just a teaser. Um, so it's one thing to diagnose, right? It's one thing to describe the problem. And that's really important. Like when you go to the doctor, you want them to give you an accurate diagnosis because 
the diagnosis informs the prescription. It informs the way forward. Um, so we read this book and we think, man, that's exactly right. That's hitting it right on the head. Yeah. That's an accurate, at least I think experientially and as we have read and know scripture, um, it is an accurate diagnosis of the current cultural ails. However, what is a way forward? What does Truman give as some thoughts? And then what I'm more interested in, what are your thoughts on a way forward? Yeah. Well, it, it also helps make sense of um, what many Christians recognize and, and feel today that Christian beliefs, Christian doctrine, the gospel, is uh, there, there is an increasingly negative mm. view toward Christians in our society. Uh, Truman says, we can now see that once identity is psychologized, anything that is seen to have a negative impact upon someone's psychological identity can potentially come to be seen as harmful, even as a weapon that does serious damage. That's right. And so if you're wondering, how did it come to be, as Isaiah says, that this people calls good evil and evil good. It seems so flipped that Christian morality, which yeah. just, you know, if, if you're a Christian, it just makes sense. It, it's a summary of how to love people. How could that be seen as so evil? It's, mm-hmm. it's not just that Christianity is a, a view to be tolerated. No, it, it is. It's an evil. Yeah. Uh, Christian morality is a great weapon that has to be uh, done away with. So it makes sense then. He, he toward the end, kind of talks about how... Um, basic freedoms we've enjoyed like freedom of speech and freedom of religion are really vulnerable in this day and age because if you as a Christian are going to speak and going to practice your religion, that is a threat to somebody else. And so I think as Christians, um, it it makes sense of the world that we live in. I think it should prepare us for suffering. It reminds us that we need to be um, resolute in our faith. We should not be surprised. Jesus said, uh, don't be surprised if the world hates you because they hated me first. Mm-hmm. Um, John repeats that in, in 1 John 3. You know, why did Cain murder Abel? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, so don't be surprised if the world hates you. Um, Peter says that, 1 Peter 4, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening right. to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad mm-hmm. um, when his glory appears. So there, there is a... Um, a need to be resolute and, and realize, all right, th- this looks different than maybe it did 10, 20, 50 years ago where um, bearing witness to Christ, there may be higher stakes yeah. for us today. And yet we should resolve to be faithful yeah. in that um, and and continue to do that, um, continuing to worship, continuing to gather together, continuing mm-hmm. to build communities shaped by the gospel. I I think that's a great point he makes at the end kind of application. People are looking for identity. They're Mm -hmm. finding that in communities. One of the greatest needs people are going to have is to to find, to discover gospel communities where they can belong, where their identity is defined through Christ, um, where their sins are forgiven, where Mm -hmm. whatever they've done to themselves, whatever they've done in the world, they can experience um, forgiveness and uh, be welcomed in those who were enemies and strangers and far off now have peace with God. Yes. So what we do in building gospel communities is so critical, so significant Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. Yeah. As you were describing that, you know, the church seems to be entering into an, an, a new, not unknown, but a new season of suffering um, where, like you said, where the cost of being, uh, to, to identifying, and that word's important, identifying with Christ is high. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to like, 
like you, you know, rattled off all the scriptures to take heart mm-hmm. because Christ has overcome the world. Yeah. And if we look at the history of the church, the seasons where the gospel spread quickest and in the most depths is in the crucible of suffering and in the, in the, per, in the crucible of persecution. Um, so we'll, we'll end here. Um, Truman, his last chapter is worth the price of the book mm. um, to hear how he describes what a way forward is. I'll just read this last little, uh, he, this is on the last page. He says this, suffering here and now may at times be terrible, even unbearable, but it's never meaningless. No, it finds its meaning in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this book comes to an end. The world in which we live seems to be entering a new, chaotic, uncharted, and dark era. But we should not despair. We need to prepare ourselves, be informed, know what we believe and why we believe it, worship God in a manner that forms us as true disciples and pilgrims, intellectually and intuitively, and keep our eyes the keep keep before our eyes the unbreakable promises that the Lord has made and confirmed in Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's our hope. And, and as a, as a small expression of that, mm-hmm. we as a local church are seeking to foster that because yeah. the only hope we have, regardless of whether Christianity is if it's a positive world or a negative yeah. world, is in what God has said. And he said it most clearly in Jesus. And so every Sunday we gather, we gather to, to, to lift our eyes out of the chaos, to look at Christ right. and hear him proclaim, to respond, and then to practice that in gospel community. Yeah. And, and with the confidence, God himself has told us the gospel is the power of God mm-hmm. for the salvation of all who believe. That's right. Jesus said, um, this is my church and I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against mm-hmm. it. So, so we have reason to be confident uh, that the gospel will go forward. We know that Jesus has sent us into this world. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, So we have his presence, we have his spirit, we have his gospel empowered with those things, then we have great optimism. I I think Mm -hmm. that's important to end with that hope. Yeah. Um, It's not like, oh no, this is the end of the world. No, you know, it's... Uh, it's dark mm-hmm. and it's tragic mm-hmm. and people are suffering and, and we have the gospel. That's right. And we, we may suffer sure. dearly for holding that gospel out to people, but we have an incredible, uh, you know, uh, heritage before us. Mm-hmm. Those who have gone before us and been faithful and suffered for it, including our Lord and Savior, Jesus That's Christ, right. who laid down his life for us. Amen. Well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, hopefully this is, you know, go read the book and yes, discuss it with each other in, in gospel community and, uh, and have hope. So Amen. thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.